And now, a special edition of the Toddcast podcast. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. How long have we known each other? Well, I mean, I've been in Vancouver 15 years, and I think that basically I was not really in the business for those first, for the first year and a half. I was out of it completely. And then I started getting back into the business around late 06, early 07. So that's when I started working uh, a little bit of uh, shows as a runner and doing some of these things in Vancouver and then started, I, I knew Doug Fury already. So we started doing some stuff with the Almighty Truth which was him and Scotty and those guys. And then when you guys were running the Sea Fox bands thing, like the band wars, whatever that was called, what was, remember that was yeah, called? The seeds. Uh, yeah. The seeds, yeah. the almighty truth. Uh, I was with Doug on that just saying, Hey, if you need some help. And I kind of was dipping my heels in management. And I think that's really when we started connecting because right. I was in the studio a lot, uh, you know, coming to see you um, with Doug and Doug was coming in and I was part of the seeds thing a little bit. And, also, I had started with Live Nation locally at the time, and you and Danger and Neil were all doing intros at the shows at the Commodore and Richards and some of these places that I was doing. So I would say it was probably right. late 06, early 07. Around there. We're, we're coming up on 15. Anyway, yeah, buddy. Mentioning your, you worked with Live Nation, we're going to, of course, get into a lot of that because I'm sure that you have some, some thoughts on how everything's going to be progressing over the next year, year and a half, two years kind of thing. Um, interesting. Before we get to that, though, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the, the Donnelly house. What's the music in your house as a kid growing up? Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a mixture of things. Because my dad actually um, played in bands his whole life. So for my dad, uh, he opened up for the Dave Clark Five, uh, you know what I mean, and back in yeah. the day. And so there was a lot of – my dad was always part of, like, the, the epitome of, the, of, like, 50s, 60s, you know, stuff. He was always in those kind of bands. He had a country cover band doing like Waylon Jennings, uh, Willie Nelson, like all the, all the, the you know, the outlaw stuff. Yeah. And then he had like a 50s band called Pink Cadillac that did all this stuff. So I had all this kind of hybrid of that. My mom's side, my grandfather had a radio show. Oh, really? So there was always a studio. And I think this is what got it going. There was always a studio down in the basement with these old mics and all this cool shit. And uh, so I always had a bit of that. We always had like Eagles and, you know, so right. anything with like four part harmonies was around in my house uh, prominently. My parents had split. So I had like my mom's side, which was super musical. Always, you know, always somebody with a guitar doing something on my dad's side. Every weekend he was playing a gig. We'd go and check out the rehearsal. So there was that kind of like influx and you're like six seven years old and you see a set of drums and then you're like i want to play them and then you know you're like what am i going to play first and it's like i you know what i think it's like i love it loud by kiss you know <laughs> right or whatever like that was a funny thing or there would have been like you know something acdc probably back then but i, I my first drums were on like uh, milk cartons and things like that. And I'd play along to my dad's band practices and they were doing like all that kind of stuff, you know? So yeah, that's, that's kind of when it, where, where it went. And then, then I got introduced to metal through my cousin who had all the Iron Maiden records and, and Ozzy and stuff. And then that parlayed into uh, a good friend of mine, Jason, that used to, we'd used to walk around with a ghetto blaster and blast Ozzy Osbourne. And, and it just kind of took off from there. And my cousin Daryl actually was uh, working for CFNY in Toronto and would always get me access to 
really great music. So he had like the, he was Billy Idol and then eventually into like, he was into a little bit more new wave, but he also like, you know, ended up going down to rock world with the hip and some other things. So it just kind of came out of, there was music from all angles, you know? Right. So it's not a stretch that you ended up working, touring with Live Nation, the, the biggest promoting. Uh, it's, I mean, I always wanted to be a musician and, and, and making it as a band, but I mean, there's only a handful of those slots available now, isn't there? Right, right. And what was your first concert that you went to? Uh, the first ever concert I ever went to was the Monsters of Rock Wow. Uh, with Metallica, Aerosmith, Black Crows, and Warrant. So I was at that point like a, like a hair metal guy. Yeah. So I had, I was there. Yeah, I was kind of, well, I mean, the thing was with Metallica, it was on the justice tour. So I didn't have anybody introduce me to Metallica. So I went there going, oh, this is, you know, they're too heavy or it's going to be too heavy for me. Cause that was sort of like, if it wasn't on Q107, it was too heavy. Right. Right. So it was like, I was going to see Aerosmith and Warrant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like watching 50,000 people go, you know, chant die. And I'm like, oh. Okay, yeah. right. This is after Warrant had got booed off the stage, but it was the Black Crow's first show in Toronto, so that was really cool. Oh wow, that's great! Yeah. And the interesting thing is, if you read Sebastian Bach's book, haven't but I've heard his auto, awesome. autobiography, he okay. talks about that show because Skid Row is just breaking, that's and right. they had got invited there. There was a whole bunch. I think some Guns guys were there. It was like what was going on backstage at that show that was my first concert is in itself its own story right so that was the first big show that i went to and i'd gone to a handful of like little you know little tiny things but that was the big the big concert yeah and why not the first time i smelt weed the first time i you know like what's going on and yeah you know otto's jacket you know that kind of thing yeah why does he smell like daddy mom yeah Uh, what's your favorite rock read well i'm an autobiography guy so i'm kind of all over the place i uh I really like Sebastian's book because I just feel like he has this interesting story to tell. Uh, you hear enough on the Skid Row side um, about the problems they had with him. You hear about him on his side, about him trying to reconcile it and get it back together. Uh, and then you kind of go, well, which side do I want to believe? And you kind of believe both sides. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic to it. Um, I really dug where he got into because I grew up, I, I was born where he was kind of born. So he's Peterborough guy. I'm like Port Perry, like about 25, 30 minutes from there. And a lot of the things he talks about in that book, you know, I, I was, I, I saw. And um, uh, Steven Tyler's book is great. I love Duff's book. Um, Slash's book was really cool. Motley Crue, The Dirt, all that kind of stuff yeah. is cool. I haven't gotten the into dirt. like yeah. the, I haven't gotten into, or haven't just had a chance to read a lot of the, you know, maybe 70s artists yet. But um, eventually, right. you know. Did you mention Hagar in, in that? Uh, no, but you know, I I, I I have to read it. I I, uh, I toured actually this summer with um, a good friend of his, actually, oh. and he uh, he was that? a production he was the production manager a guy named Paul Binder who okay. is um, uh, production manager for Alice in Chains, and uh, ended up being production on the whole Alice in Chains Corn tour that I did, and him and Sammy are really really close, so we we do a lot of chats from you know, at the time just, and he was telling some great Sammy stories and, and I, I really have to read his book because I got a newfound respect for Sam. A lot of people want to keep it Dave and I get it, but I, I really, after kind of spending some time with Paul understanding like that, you know, it's a thing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Sammy Hagar for me would probably be top 10 for sure of, of people that I'd want to interview. Oh, I, I bet you it would be great. And I, the funny thing is I have a funny story about, about him in, a, in just a quick one because I was in Vegas a couple of years ago with Fitz, Brent Fitz and Todd from Slash's band and we all went to Sammy's uh, Cabo Wabo uh, bar in Vegas yeah. and we walked in and they were playing dance music. And Eddie Trunk was with us. So Eddie called him on the phone and was like, they're playing dance music at your club. And within minutes, it had switched to like White Snake or something. Right. That's what should be. All of a sudden, Totally. Yes. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, let's get into to what you do with, uh, with Live Nation and kind of how you got there. Because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that would love to be in your shoes or at least be in your shoes a year or two years ago. The gig itself is interesting. I, I started in a band, obviously, like we all do, uh, with grand plans to make it. And then it, and then it kind of went to a point where I had run my course as a drummer and it just wasn't going to work. We were touring with Sum 41 and all these cool bands at the time. And I'm like, these guys are just killing. Like, these drummers were just like, you know, Vish. killing me, killing me. And they were deadly. And it was great. And we had our own thing there. They had their own thing. But I was like, you know, I think I'm done playing in a band. And so I played in a band with Chris Machete, who's on the Dean Blundell Network. And um, we had a lot of fun with it. And I thought, I, I want to switch and maybe become a manager. Because what was happening was, is I was also putting on concerts at the time and meeting tour managers. And they kept asking me to tour with their bands. Like, hey, do you want to go on tour? Or, or the management company wants you to go on tour. I started doing I Mother Earth shows and Our Lady Peace and Tea Party. And all those people are all connected. And I just had opportunity after opportunity to become a tour manager. So I jumped out tour managed and which was basically managing the band's day to days on tour and like meeting making sure they get to sound check and don't all of it up schedule basically. accounting you name it paying them per diems uh making sure you don't lose the guitar player you know just <laughs> yeah, make sure they all make it to the airport yeah you're on call all the time so i uh i did that but i'd met guys like me across the way and okay. so I like guys like uh, that you might know, like Pete Clyde or Dave Fortune that were out here. Um, I had met them, uh, John Donnelly, who's in, you know, I'd met them on my first tours back in like 99 as a tour manager. And so when I moved out to Vancouver, Live Nation and House of Blues concerts had just merged and had right. gone from 200 shows a year to like a thousand shows a year in Western cool. Canada. And they needed guys that could go and run the concerts on behalf of the promoter. The old way was like, you bought the show, you went, you ran the show, you paid the bands. It was like, you had this relationship with the, with the band where they knew you personally and all the rest of it. But as things get busy, you just can't be everywhere all at once. So you hire guys like me to go on your behalf and run the show and maintain that relationship on behalf of the company, uh, myself, the promoter, everyone to kind of move it forward and progress with the band so that's what had happened by by oh you know when i moved here in 05 i wasn't really into it i kind of taken a break but by the end of by the end of 06 07 beginning of 07 i was asked to come in and see if it was something i'd be interested in doing and so then i jumped right into it because tour managers generally make the best promoter reps as we're called because we've done the tour managing we've done the accounting we know deals we know management we know all that stuff so that's what you kind of, your learning curve is a little bit easier when you come in as a tour manager. So I started doing that Commodore Richards, you know, all the club shows, media club, and then graduating to touring across the, across Western Canada, doing 
same size of shows, but like taking like theory of a dead man and all these kind of like your buddy, Dave, um, uh, shows after shows, Jimmy world, just taking him across Western Canada and running it on behalf of the promoter. And then it just gradually, you build, you go from clubs, you go to theaters and then you go to smaller arenas and then you go to full arenas and then it's stadium. So it just has this gradual build mm-hmm. as you go. And all the stuff that you learn on club level and theater level, you need in order to run an arena show. It, it all applies, right? I mean, it's it, the, the foundation is there, whether it's the media club or, uh, you know, GM play Rogers arena. You still got to park a vehicle. You still right. got to get people in. You the still got to do the accounting. Uh, you got to feed them. You got to pay them. It's just on the, it just depends on what size of scale that is that you're doing it on. So. Right. And you're just mentioning the, the Allison chains, uh, corn tour. Yeah. I don't know how how deep you're allowed to get into the to the the behind the scene stuff, but have you have you have you ever like had crazy moments on tour where you're like maybe the guitarist isn't there, they didn't show up. Or, um, that's you know, a weird one. You know, like you know what I mean. I honestly have to tell you, Todd. I have had I've had a run of like pretty decent. I've had acts not go on for like 45 minutes. I've had, you know, I toured with Lauren Hill all over, all over Australia and Europe last year. Yeah. And well, that's its own thing. She's her own thing. So there is a bit of like status stuff, you know, that people that, that you kind of have to deal with. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of hip hop and a lot of diva tours and they're just, it's its own thing. Hmm. You know, the music, uh, respect the music is kind of second to what the bigger thing is, right? right. So there's that one on, on a rock tour or a country tour. It's always just like, you know, go for it. The, the crazy days of trash and hotels and stuff. I wish I had stories for you about oh, that. Oh. I'm sure something will come to me uh, down the road. But I, but they're I've been kind of lucky, really. Yeah, you know? missed it by 50 years. Imagine, uh, imagine the guys in you know that were tour managing. Led Zeppelin and the who and you know, like in the seventies, the early seventies yeah. would have just been fucking chaos. Yeah. I, yes. And they, uh, I, t- I had the pleasure of, of touring with uh, Marty home with Shakira. Marty's one of the top tour managers in the world. Rolling Stone just did a big article on him. He's okay. actually, I think going to come on my podcast pretty soon, but right. he, um, he's Fleetwood Mac. He was just about to head out with the stones. I mean, the guy has got oodles and oodles and days and days of stories. So, that uh, that's pretty. That was that was a learning. You're, you never you never stop learning. So right, and, and being um, such a, an integral part of uh, the the machinery of such a big company like Live Nation, uh, you're certainly one of the main cogs when they're getting bands like you know. Uh, didn't you do something with uh, was it Halsey? Yeah, I just was out with Halsey. The, actually, we did basically like the last tour in the world. Right. <laughs> so okay. I think the stereophonics were out and I, and Elvis Costello and us, I think we were the last ones. Um, we were in Manchester for the last show and then literally the world shut down the next day. Right. So a good, a good friend of mine from Vancouver, Bob Chemis was out with Elvis Costello and he had a show the same night as us. Uh, they, I think they'd finished a little bit early. I think the stereophonics went on a little bit later. So they might've actually had the final actual downbeat in the world. We were close. We were at 11 p.m. So, wow. Yeah. How optimistic are you about getting 
things back to normal, I guess. I wish I could, I wish I could read people's minds as far as what the general public thinks, because it's really going to come down to them and whether they feel comfortable in going to group settings and going to shows again. Like, yeah, I, like our business is, is they call it recession proof, but it's proving very quickly that it's not, it's certainly not a priority. Now people, sure. people want to spend money on entertainment when something bad happens and I get it. But, um, still with the with, with this kind of thing uh it's it's such a global pandemic thing that everyone's in fear and no one has any answers and i don't know if we're going to get those answers until we get a vaccine things are starting to and i'm not even going to get political about it but things are starting to open up yep. uh concerts i still don't think uh are going to i think i think everything is being pushed to 21 or as it looks right now i can tell you i can just tell you that I don't plan on actually doing a show until like one year from now. Wow. If I get a call before then I'll be surprised. And that's, and I know there's a shit ton of people working very hard to make this happen, yep. but no one's going to do it at the expense of their tour, uh, their personnel, their, the, the fan safety, anyone's safety. So until we start getting some answers about a few things, um, I'm kind of, uh, you know, gonna be probably driving for uber i don't know, yeah, <laughs> who, knows? Yeah. who knows what's going on right um yeah what a, so. what a crazy what a crazy time because it's you know like it's one thing to go see maybe a 20 person show or something at a pub or whatever you know what i mean but it's another yeah. go to fifteen thousand people at an arena totally um so yeah it's going to be it's going to be dependent on that which is which is odd and and, and you're mentioning you know people going back now everything's kind of somewhat going back to you can you know, gather, you know, and have different people into your, your bubble and everything else. Yeah. But let's see how that goes in two or three weeks from right now. I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. I, I, uh, I, I've had a lot of people call me about it and I have no answers because I'm standing by myself. I just know there's a lot of people working on it. There's a lot of people out of work because of it. Yep. Uh, and we just have to kind of be patient and sort of see where it's going to go. I, I'm, I'm the same way about sports. Like I love hockey and I miss the Stanley cup and I miss all this stuff, but I not, I don't miss it enough to like, you know, have it just be half assed. I, I, I don't miss it enough to be like, well, you kind of like, we're only letting 4,000 people into the game. It's going to be worse than trying to get into a 17,000. Like I, I, it's just a, it's like go the whole way. Yeah. Or let's just wait until we can go the whole way. Did you like the idea of the uh, the early playoffs and uh, the teams? I was on with Dean Blundell and Mancuso a couple months ago, but whatever. When I was stuck in my room, uh, sick, right? And um, and I had said, why not run right into the season? So let's just start if they if they have the option, let's take a break, run the Stanley Cup playoffs in September, crown a champion, take two weeks off, and then start the season. And I'm like, it's not like it's too different now. Like they're proposing stuff and then it's going to maybe be like a, a mid-October, November. I'm like, just have the spring, tr have the training happen, have the playoffs happen, crown a champion, and then, in, and then you're defending it within two weeks. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Hmm. Screw this four months off. It's like, no, man, you, you were the champion two weeks ago. Now we're going to, we're fucking coming for you. Right. And we just missed you by one game. And we're going to get you in April. And I just think that would be really cool. Yeah, it would be a pretty good idea. 
do we like this effect behind me now that I'm a silhouette in a tree or shall I move for you? You're just starting to become one (laughs) of the three here. For our listeners uh, that are uh, not watching, uh, Todd and I are zooming with uh, an ominous looking tree behind me now. Yeah, I'm going to uh, hopefully be able to do more zooms um, and, and, and capture some of these guests that i have rolling through like i just had grant fuhrer uh, uh, as a lucky bastard i've been trying to get fear for forever so we'll talk about that i'm just a huge fan i've been a a massive fan of grant for my whole you know forever so yeah uh, awesome good for you man i can't wait to hear that interview i don't even want to ask you about it because i uh, because i just can't wait to listen to it it was okay it wasn't you know it wasn't certainly for me it wasn't um it wasn't as good as what i was hoping it was going to be he wasn't giving you something or you just, yeah. or you just weren't in it. I think that it was just more that he mailing it in. Maybe maybe it's a little bit of both, you know, maybe it yeah. was that, that I was hoping that he would just, you know, with open-ended questions, he'd just let rip and tell stories. But, uh, and I also knew that I only had a 10 to 15 minutes with him. Right. So, Oh, that's all you had. Yeah. As the clock is ticking down, you know, when you have those kind of time parameters, it's not like you can just fuck the dog and, go off like we will tonight. You know what I mean? Like it's, sure. it's, it, and it's also freaking Grant Fuhrer, man. Yeah. That, that looks way better, by the way, whatever you've done there, your light. Well, we've added a little bit of light. I'm just going to, yeah, we've added a little bit of needs a race. <laughs> the lighting person is the LG V30 phone. <laughs> yes. So that's right. what's going on. I'm going to try right. one more position here. Uh, and see yeah, if this I mean, works. It was, okay. it was okay. But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess the, just a, just a, of this is we're going to hopefully record a lot more with the upcoming guests that we've got. And, and I've got some big ones, man. Tyson Fury, dude, is you got Tyson Fury. Amazing. Is supposed to be coming on. So that's one of those, like I've been pushed back. I've been pushed back. Like I, I, I think I've been, I, I want to say close to three years trying to get him on. Is that frustrating to get pushed back? Cause I've been re yeah, I've been, I've been like redeployed a handful of times and I'm like, ah, you know, I had it in my head how I wanted the interview to go and all the rest of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's just the way it is though. That's just the game, right? Sure. That, that was the same in, in radio. It wasn't as bad in radio. Cause generally it was like, you know, if it was radio, it was pushing their new album yeah. or it was pushing the show that they're, they're playing in Vancouver. So they wanted to get on. Yeah, yeah. Tyson Fury is like Todd who? Right. That's got to be <laughs> tough, man. I I you know, I'm still trying to book guests and I I'm doing my thing. I haven't I'm not doing anything this week and I I'm about to launch I mean Mercedes our friend Mercedes just launched her podcast, so Mercedes giving her some room yeah. to do that. She's my co-host on the Travel Cast and then also um just trying what, to What's her get, podcast again? It was uh it's called Dropping Drop In. Dropping In. Yeah. Good so she's, she's doing time. really well with that. And uh, so I've taken a break from that. The travel cast, I got a couple episodes left and then I'm moving on to life and that's going to be a big one for me. So I'm kind of gearing up for that. So, yeah. So how did you come up with those ideas to bounce around like that? Cause initially it was the, the Brenton on tour podcast and then it was the quarantine <laughs> podcast. And- well, it's kind of, what wow. happened was, is I, I, I felt like I couldn't, fill a hundred episodes of coffee because it kind of started with coffee coffee me, me, me traveling around the world trying to find the best coffee in the world and i was putting great coffee people on and uh, people would be like great coffee people what and i'm like but i had like the best roaster in the world i had you know uh ray from corn and brent from slash's band talking about the corn's coffee brand and some of the best gear in the world of where they've been so we just had these unique coffee coffee conversations and right. i'm like i just can't fill a hundred episodes of this and it turned into me kind of 
kind of feeling like, but what else can I talk about? I was like, well, I can talk about music. Uh, I can talk about travel and I can talk a little bit about life because I'm surrounded with all these great people. So why don't I break it up into four modules? So that was the plan. And then the world crumbled. And so now I'm not on tour. So now I've like, well, now it's going to be the Brenton not on tour quarantine cast. So I've kind of got the, I've got the travel, the, I've got the Brenton travel cast going, yeah. but I've got the not on tour quarantine cast, which is just kind of random conversations with people that kind of jump into the mix. And, um, and then we'll move on to life and life is going to be an important one for me. So that's a good one. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing that. Have you got anybody lined up for those or? Yeah. So I've got, um, uh, uh, I've got a girl named Claire Poulion who is a, a best-selling author for, uh, she, she wrote the book called the sober diaries, which was uh, her journey from, um, being, a you know, a mom that was uh, a little too, probably too much into the drinking and, all the rest of it and was, was stuck and couldn't get out of it and wrote a, a blog, uh, I believe called the sober mummy and got a million followers or something. It turned it into a best-selling book. I found it, uh, like a year and a half ago. Cause I would, I'd stopped drinking. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to tour by not drinking. I'm going to try to tour for the first time in my life without a drink of alcohol. And, um, cause I just want, I was, you know, getting really busy with what I was doing. Plus, uh, just responsibility plus, uh, you know, days off can be a bitch. So I was like <laughs> trying to kind of clean it up a bit and be like, whatever. And I'd found her book and really loved it. And then I actually messaged her while I was going through this journey, which was, you know, a bit of a struggle. And she got back to me. She just was kind of supportive the whole time. And I asked her if she'd ever wanted to come on and talk about the podcast. She hadn't done any podcasts at that point. And she, she got like a, she sold like a million bucks. So I was like, okay, why don't you come on? So she came to see me in December at the O2 in London. And we had a really good talk and it coincided with the brand new book she just released uh, about a, two weeks ago. So um, she's going to be my first guest. And then from there uh, it, you know, it's, I got some actors, I got a few things. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be cool. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It's going to be a, a bit of a different, uh, not necessarily pop culturally, but it's going to be um, a little bit more uh, like lifestyle and lifestyle stuff. Yeah. 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 I try to get a little bit of lifestyle in with everything that I do with this podcast too. Right. Obviously like it's, it leans rock and kind of, you know, entertainment based, I guess. But uh, I, I do like to find out like, you know, like, what are you binge watching right now? What are the shows that uh, I'm watching YouTube videos on how to break a podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, 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 we've just finished up the Ozark. So that was great. I uh, love yeah. it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. is like one of the best man. He's yeah, you know, there's a really speaking of YouTube, though, there's a really killer um, uh, video about why he's so perfectly cast for this show. And a lot of people are like, they have a hard time with Bateman because they don't understand why, you know, he's just so chilled. And if you, if you really dive into what's going on with the Ozark, you know, he co-wrote most of it. He's, he's producing it. He's directing a handful of episodes. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I like playing the normal guy surrounded by anarchy. And if you watch everything that he's done in the last 15 years, he's pretty much the normal guy surrounded by anarchy. Right. And then when you watch Ozark, you're like, this guy is perfect for this. Yeah. So good. Like the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. 
I finished Curb Enthusiasm. I finished Ozark. Um, what else? Um, oh, that, that's not the Curb. Uh, that's not the Bateman. Uh, oh, Arrested uh, Development. Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. I mean, Curb that kind Enthusiasm of, is a great show too, but no. That brought him. That brought him back into Very. it. Um, but I'm not. I'm not really getting a lot of time to watch. I, I, I know this sounds weird, but I'm homeschooling the kids, and then my afternoons okay. are like building this thing out, trying to be, you know, present at the house and making sure things are, are, are doing well there, trying to brand out the podcast, trying to find work. So I don't, I find I don't really get a chance to sit down and, and do a TV thing uh, until later on, like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And that, by that time, it's like, well, I got about one episode in me or two episodes in it you know, rack up. So no, I'm the exact same way. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm trying to add more of it. I talked to Chris Machetti a little bit um, and we're working towards like a bit of a uh, uh, pop culture kind of broadcast that we're going to kind of touch on some, some stuff, comics and, and a few things. So we'll get it. I'll get a little bit more into it. Mm, interesting. You know? interesting. Yeah. It's been interesting. All so this downtown. Uh, w- would you consider putting your kids back in school? Like they're saying, uh, you know, in June, June 1st or whatever. It's up to <sighs> or I want to leave. I want to leave it to them. I, I, I want to leave kids? it to them. Well, my kids are, you know, they're 11 and nine and, okay. and Alex is very close to being 10. So there's a couple things that they're, ver- they're getting a lot of work at home. So my, uh, my little guy's getting loaded up with a grade four work. He's, he's got like 11 projects a week. So he's pretty jammed. Um, yeah, I don't want it to be a social experiment from the standpoint of just go back and play with your friends. If it's one of those things where, Hey, we need him here for the last month to really just make sure he's prepped for grade five on a, on a couple of things. Same with my daughter who's in French immersion. Hey, if she, we really need her to here for this last month. Cause we really need to touch on some of these things that she's going to need for grades, uh, sorry for grade seven. So that's kind of like where I'm at right now. And I've got teacher friends that are like, I hate this. And I've got other friends, other teachers that are like, we need it. I'm just for like, what's the best thing for the kids, for the teachers, for the school system? Because to me, there isn't much of a difference between putting them back in June 1st and putting them back in September the 8th. It's only two months. So are we going to be that much better come September or can we just forego the June thing and just start it in, in September? And, and I don't know. So I, I'm kind of leaving it to them. I'm I'm uh, I'm leaning towards sh- sending them just to uh, kind of see how that's going to go. But um, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I I don't. I don't. I'm not one of those guys that like. Yeah, I've been through it. So it, if it's been through the house with me, then they've all gotten it and recovered. I don't know. I right. I, I recovered and there was no signs from them. Uh, obviously it's obviously it's other people's kids. You got to be worried about sometimes or other parents that aren't being responsible and sending their kids sick. I can just say that, um, I, I'm happy to wait till September, but if they really, really are pushing to go, yeah, perhaps, perhaps we'll look at it. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. We're not giving them the option here. We're just like, no, it's not happening. Okay. My kids seven, nine, you know? Sure. I, I, I honestly feel like we're probably, teaching them better than what they're being taught in school. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly an interesting one. I, I, uh, we're all, we're all waiting for the world to get back to normal. I just don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, obviously it's not going to be normal for a little while. Uh, normal for me is 
let's start with what school looks like so we can get them back to some kind of normalness and then we'll work around it. Right. Right. Yeah, man. It's all about the kids. Right. And then work around their little worlds. Because everyone will just bitch and complain about the stores and about the gap not being open or whatever the hell that's fine. But when it comes to education, you know, how much leeway do we have before we can hold them back, hold them back. And then all of a sudden, you know, my daughter's like 14 and she's missing a grade and a half. It's like, eh. yeah. Eh. So let's yeah. get that back to normal and figure out what that's going to look like. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're, we're kind of just wondering what we're going to be doing with our summer plans. You know, we had plans to go to Tofino for a couple of weeks. We had plans to go up to the Okanagan and Penticton for a couple of weeks those are probably scrapped. It's probably going to be a long, quiet Vancouver. Or are you talking camping? Or are you talking just like hotels or well, Airbnbs? Get, yeah. Airbnb and the Okanagan and uh, those little a frames on Mackenzie beach. Yeah. Do you know, listen, I, I don't, I feel like um, once they open up camping, you're pretty, you pretty much should be good to go. Like, I mean, and they're talking mid June for that. Uh, as long as I think you're doing your part, Todd. Yeah. So like, I don't know if your kids have been playing with any kids or what's been going on or if they've been in the neighborhood in the park or doing whatever. But, not really. Not but, kids. I mean, we've been in the parks and stuff, but we're definitely yeah. keeping distance, right? Even still where they're like, yep, it's fine. The only people that have been in my house is my sister-in-law yeah. and her husband, right? Like, So I, I, I don't – I think that once the – the camping restrictions are lifted a bit uh, and you know, maybe it's every other campsite. I know that they're going to close the bathrooms and things like that. So you just got to decide whether you want to, whether you want to do that. Uh, Actually camp, you know, or you know, if you're just going to go hit the beach and hit a hotel and rely on the hotel staff to do their thing. I don't know. I think there has to be a point there where we, we do your part, you do everything you can within your part, but then you have to kind of start, living a bit and and just kind of getting back into it and um i as i told dean blundell before i'm like let's just accept the fact that everyone's gonna get it so let's just find out when <laughs> like everyone's gonna get it and get through it or not i don't know let's just move on so it's like i don't know what the plan is but i think if our bonnie who's who our our health person says uh le okay let's let's see what you got people then let's do our part but let's start living. Let's yeah. start trying to live a little bit, you know? Boy, she, she went over everybody's hearts, hey? She's done a great she job. She should be prime minister. Yeah, she, she's... You can't get mad at her. No. No. Even, and you know, she's like, your, she's like your nice aunt that gets pissed off. If she gets pissed off, you know everyone's listening. Like, if right. she looks at the camera and is like, you fuckers, I told you to stay the fuck off the beach and you didn't, you little shits. Fuck right. you. Everyone back in the house, everyone's going to go, holy shit, Bonnie's yeah. mad at us. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, nice. And so Bonnie's mad at us. We're screwed. What's your plan for the rest of the night? Ah, uh, man. Well, it's been uh, it's the last day of the long weekend, obviously. So, gonna get the kiddos down. Uh, yep. Uh, and uh, try to relax and enjoy a flick, maybe, or just kind of just chill. It's an early day tomorrow. I, I, I'm up with them, and I try to keep them on a bit of a regime, a bit. You know, we get rolling. Uh, regular school time for them so i try to keep that weekend that sunday or that monday you know okay as you go go to bed so i'll chill out a bit um and uh, kind of prep for the week which is now short but i actually have a you know busier week ahead of me now of some stuff so uh, yeah. yeah man just prepping 
Yeah, same. My uh, my week's getting a little bit busy, filling up, trying to get a couple more sponsors on. I got a couple sponsor meetings. I got a couple uh, interviews and stuff. But more than anything, like you, man, I'm just trying to you know get by and uh, and and live like n- as normal as you possibly can, and suddenly be a grade two teacher and a grade four teacher, and know. Uh, you know, etc. It's a really it's something, man. It's something, and I. I, uh, it's, it's, you know, I mean, everywhere, every generation goes through something. So here we are, here we are, here we are, but, uh, keep making content and banging it out and having some fun. And that's all we can really do. Right. Yes, indeed. Where is the best place for people to stalk you socially online? Well, um, me and my 450 Twitter followers that never seems to grow even after 10,000 people view something. Anyway, someone, someone walked me through that. Uh, anyways, you can find me Brenton on tour, uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find me Brenton on tour podcast on the Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, Brenton on tour on Facebook, Brenton on tour.com. And that's pretty much uh, where I am, man. Entertainment guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by Tomes where quality sleep matters. Find out more at Tomes.com. That's T-A-U-M-M-H-O-M-S.com.